Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. This is Elder Dan Sammons preaching in our regular Sunday morning service. Last week I started trying to preach on, started trying to get into the topic of heroes of the Bible. And I started off by talking a little bit about Saul, who's kind of not really a hero, but you might say he's part of the backstory of one of the more prominent heroes in the Bible, which is King David. And we're going to continue on with this today and begin to see something about David's rise and, and Saul's decline. When we looked at Saul's life last time, we saw that he had fallen into a state where he was following what I called the seems right doctrine. And this is a lesson that is valuable for any of us. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man. The end thereof are the ways of death. So that's a proverb that's cited twice in the Bible, and it's something that any of us can fall prone to. It's a dangerous notion to just live by what seems right. And I suspect if you poke and prod a little bit into why many people do what they do, with a little bit of scratching, it doesn't take long to uncover that a lot of times it's really nothing more than the seems right doctrine. It seems right to me, that's why I'm doing it. And there's not much more that's any more substantial than that underneath it. And sometimes getting into conversations about why people believe what they believe can be kind of uncomfortable because it doesn't take much questioning before it starts to reveal, I don't really have a good reason for why I do what I do other than it just seems right to me. And that can be uh, unsettling. It should be unsettling to God's people. We should look at our lives and look at what we do and we should ask the question, why do I do as I do? And if the answer is it just seems right to me, then there's an occasion there for more inquiry into the matter. It's possible for something to seem right and it to actually be right, right? I mean, so I mean, our instincts on these things are not always entirely wrong. And uh, maybe that's why we have some measure of reliance on the seems right doctrine. It's not always wrong. You could say, it seems like I ought to go to church this morning. Well, that's a, that's a good thing to do, right? That seems right, and it was right. However, in many areas of our lives, we need to make sure that it's not just a matter of what seems right. It's a matter of what does the Word of God say about things, and are we living in accordance with what we find there? I'm starting in Acts chapter 13, which is a little bit of an odd place, but I'm trying to point out that what I preach here on this matter... While it's an Old Testament lesson, it's something that we see rehearsed in the New Testament. Paul's sermon at Antioch, he, he says this. Uh, it says, Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand. This is, uh, sorry, Acts 13, verse 16. Then Paul stood up and beckoning with his hand said, Men of Israel and ye that fear God, give audience. The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of 40 years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. After that, he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet, which is kind of where we tuned in last time. He's kind of quickly recounting this story. And afterward, they desired a king. That was seems right doctrine on the part of the nation of Israel. Well, everybody else has got a king. We know you said you would lead us and guide us, God, but 
we kind of want to be like everybody else. It seems like we ought to have a king. That's them following the seems right doctrine. They desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of forty years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. So you see this king that they wanted was given to them in the form of Saul. And we started to see some aspects that were problematic with Saul as he began to follow the seems right doctrine. If we go back in 1 Samuel chapter 10 and pick up the story there, I'm kind of not handling this in a linear fashion, but I wanted to go back and catch something that we skipped over last time. We said before that Israel wanted a king. That was not a good thing to want. That's not what God told them they needed. They just decided it seemed right to them and that's what they wanted. And they rebelled for so long that God eventually said, you know what? I'll give it to you. You persisted in this rebellion. I will give you what you want. And that is honestly a frightful thing to realize in the Bible. I suspect if you look honestly over your own life, you will find areas of rebellion where you have insisted upon doing as you thought was right, following the seems right doctrine, and it was wrong. And at some point, the Lord sort of gave you over to it, said, you want that? That's what you can have. And it's going to cause problems. It's a cautionary word about what we want, you know. I know that it's popular in our culture and society, Disney movies and whatnot, follow your heart. Right? This is a very common notion. You talk to people who don't really have any sort of idea of what the Scriptures say or any sort of religious sentiment whatsoever, it's almost universal among those people that they'll say, just follow your heart. How did you raise your children? Well, I told them to follow their heart. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Follow that. That's what they're saying. Now, It is true that God gives unto His regenerate children a new heart. There is a regeneration that occurs within God's people. And that creates in them sentiments and urges and and spiritual notions that are good and right and that they should follow. But even those people, you might even say those people kind of have two hearts in the matter, right? They're still maintaining a carnal will and a carnal mindset, a sin nature is often called That may incline them to, well, I'm just going to follow my heart. Well, you follow that, you're going to be in a world of hurt. Following that heart is going to get you in a lot of trouble. So this follow your heart notion has to be checked. We have to step back and say, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. That means just because something bubbles up out of your heart or your will or your emotions doesn't necessarily mean that's the thing you ought to do. And I think that's part of the lesson we learned from Israel here. And part of the lesson we learned from Saul is that he's following his heart, right? He's following the inclinations of his carnal heart. That's what the seems right doctrine is, right? If we look at 10, though, after he is, uh, the, the Lord agrees that, okay, you want a king? I'll give you a king. I'll do that. I'll give you what you want. Saul is nevertheless anointed. And in verse 6 of chapter 10, It says, And the Spirit of the Lord will come upon thee, and thou shalt prophesy with them, and shall be turned into another man. And let it be when these signs are coming to thee, that thou do as occasion serveth thee, for God is with thee. You see, even in the midst of Israel being wayward and having bad ideas about things, the Lord giving them over to what they wanted, God has not utterly forsaken them. He's still saying, I'm working in your lives here. 
there's still opportunities here to make the best of a bad situation. Have you ever had to do that? I mean, if you haven't, you're just deluded. Life is a bad situation. You ever thought about that? I mean, life is a string of bad situations. And what you're dealing with many times is there's just bad stuff that comes up, and what are you going to do with it? How are you going to deal with it? Nobody walks through life without bad situations coming up, and you've got to figure out a way through it. And you can choose the seems right doctrine, follow my heart doctrine, all that sort of stuff, and cause yourself all sorts of problems. Or we could follow the Lord in it. The Lord works with people who have messy lives. And the Bible is full of messy live people. So just accept that. You ought to rejoice in it. Worship God in it. Right? Worship the Lord as a result of it. A lot of times the process of discipleship, the walk of discipleship, as much as anything else, is not so much about putting one foot in front of the other, though that's important if you're going to walk. It's about getting up, dusting off your knees, getting the dirt off your elbows, putting on a Band-Aid where you scraped yourself because you just fell down miserably, getting up and keep walking. As much as anything, you've got to get up and keep going. All of us have our problems and issues, and you just got to keep working through them. So God is working with them even in the midst of this situation where they're kind of in rebellion, and He's given them over to something that they wanted that's really not going to be good for them. He hasn't utterly forsaken them, and neither has He utterly forsaken us. Verse 10, it says, And when they came thither to the hill, behold, a company of prophets met him. The Spirit of God came upon him, and he prophesied among them. And it came to pass when all that knew him before saw that, behold, he prophesied among the prophets. Then the people said one to another, What is this that is come unto the son of Kish? Is Saul also among the prophets? People see God's working in Saul's life. I suspect that had Saul not chosen to follow the seems right doctrine so much, things would have gone a lot better in his life and under his reign. So there's a responsibility that's involved here. Just because God had given them over to this situation doesn't mean he's utterly forsaken them. And they could have made the best of a bad situation in all this. I think I mentioned last time that there's kind of a promise made here. If you look over in chapter 12, uh, here's kind of the arrangement they're under. Chapter 12 and verse 14, If you will fear the Lord and serve Him and obey His voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye also and the king that reigneth over you continue to follow the Lord your God. You see that? Yeah, I've given you a king. I told you it's probably not going to go well for you. But even under this arrangement, it's still, okay, that's what's happened. What is, is, and now you're going to have to kind of work your way through it. But know this, if you'll fear the Lord, follow Him and obey Him, this is going to go well for you. You see what I'm saying? But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be against you as it was against your fathers. So there's still an arrangement here of, sure, your life is messy, you've made some mistakes. You know what? Right here, right now, at this moment, God's saying, just fear the Lord and follow Him and obey Him. Forget about all that. It is what it is. You can't change it. That's what it is. Fear the Lord, follow Him, and obey Him, right? So that's the arrangement. Now we see that it was problematic as we move forward. We find Saul in disobedience. Chapter 13, 1 Samuel chapter 13. 
We see that, by the way, that we see this reiterated to them in verse 25 of the previous chapter. But if ye shall do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. Right? They could have made the best of this idea of having Saul as their king. Right? Had Saul not followed the seems right doctrine, it certainly seems as though the promise of God is that things would have gone well for them, even though this was a messy situation with messy people. Chapter 13 and verse 1, Saul reigned one year. And when he had reigned two years over Israel, Saul chose him 3,000 men of Israel, whereof 2,000 were with Saul in Michmash and in Mount Bethel, and 1,000 were with Jonathan in Gibeah of Benjamin, and the rest of the people he sent every man to his tent. Jonathan smote the garrison of the Philistines that was in Geba, and the Philistines heard of it. And Saul blew the trumpet throughout all the land, saying, Let the Hebrews hear. And all Israel heard say that Saul had smitten a garrison of the Philistines and that Israel also was had in abomination with the Philistines and the people were called together after Saul to Gilgal. So right off the bat, I mean, things going pretty well. They're defeating their enemies. That all seems pretty good. I'm going to skip down a little bit just to get to the main point I want to grab here. They're in a situation where they need to, to battle again and they want to offer up some offerings here. And Saul decides, you know what, I'm tired of waiting on Samuel. I'm just going to take it upon myself to do this work. Well, that's wrong. That's more seems right doctrine. Well, he's late, so I'll take on the role of the uh, sort of the priest, if you will. I'll take on the religious role here, uh, which is inappropriate. His thought here is that in verse 8, And he tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, Bring hither a burnt offering to me, and a peace offering. And he offered the burnt offering. And it came to pass that as soon as he had made an end of offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him, that he might salute him. And what happens here? He's done the seems right doctrine. Now he's going to have to go defend it before Samuel. What do you think Samuel's going to say about this? And Samuel said, What hast thou done? And Saul said, Because I saw that the people were scattered from me, and that thou camest not within the days appointed, and that the Philistines gathered themselves together at Michmash, therefore said I, The Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord. I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. What is that? Seems right doctrine. This is what he, this is his main thing. I followed my heart. Right? I watched that Disney movie last night in my tent and it said, follow your heart. So I got up and said, well, Samuel's not here and I just have a heart to serve the Lord. So I'm going to take on the role here and just do the thing that I'm not supposed to do that Samuel's supposed to do because that's following my heart and you'll never be let down if you follow your heart nonsense. Your heart will tell you all kinds of crazy stuff to do, get you in more trouble than you ever possibly imagined that it could. If you're doing something in your life and you're just saying, I'm just following my heart, I'm telling you right now as God's people, you need to step back and say, what am I really following here? I'm not saying that the thing you're following is wrong, but I am saying that the justification you have for it is utterly insufficient. Right? And what I mean by that, just to be clear, Someone might say, well, I just want to take care of my wife and my kids. and I, That's my heart in the matter. I'm just following my heart. I want to take care of my wife and kids. Hey, taking care of your wife and kids is a good thing to do. I'm not going to tell you not to do that. But just the fact that I feel it in my heart is not really a sufficient justification for doing that. You see what I'm saying? 
should do it because the Bible says that's how we ought to be, right? You ought to love your wife as your own body, right? You should think of your kids as a heritage from the Lord, and you should be thankful to God, and you should raise them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord because that's what the Bible says, not just because some Disney notion of following your heart is why you did it. Very important. And Samuel said to Saul, well, that sounds good. I guess you were following your heart. That's fantastic. I saw that Disney movie too. It made me feel warm and fuzzy. Samuel said to Saul, thou hast done foolishly. You follow your heart without any other justification from the Word of God. In all likelihood, you're following your carnal heart that's deceitful, unknowable, and wicked. And it puts you in a bad situation. And Samuel says it's foolishness. Now, this is Saul who God is working in his life. The man was prophesying just a few pages over. God's working in him. He's given him promises about, look, if you all, you and the people of Israel will follow me, obey me, fear me. Things are going to go well for you. Think about this. This seems right doctrine in this follow your heart business. It seems pretty acceptable when it's presented in that way, but... Saul is talking about it, or Samuel's talking about it as foolishness. And what it is, is it's proof that you don't fear God in the matter. So following your heart is, is more than just this nice little uh, way to present the idea of doing what you want to do. It's a way of covering over foolishness and a lack of fear of God. Amen. Have you ever thought about the notion that, that when you sin, and when you sin willfully... You, you're not fearing God. Now, I believe God's people, the regenerate people who have the Spirit of God in them, they have an innate sense of the, the fear of God. But every time you sin, and you do so willfully, you are presenting evidence that you don't fear God as much as you ought to. Because in each one of those instances, you're saying, I think it's going to be okay if I do this, even though I know full well God says it's not. I know a little better than God. I don't fear God. I don't think He's going to bring consequences into my life over this. I know better than He does. See why it's foolish? You see why Samuel calls him out on this? Thou hast done foolishly. Thou hast not kept the commandment of the Lord thy God, which He commanded thee. For now would the Lord have established thy kingdom upon Israel forever. This is a high-stakes game here. There were all these promises made that if you'll fear me and follow me, it's going to go well for you. And he said, now you've done this foolish thing, it's not going to go well. The kingdom that would have been established forever as, as a result of you following my guidance and obedience and fearing me, that's not going to happen now. You see the trouble with seems right doctrine? It crops up again here. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. You see where Paul got that notion? Paul said the exact same thing of David. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart, and the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people, because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. It was laid before Saul the opportunity to obey God, fear him, and serve him as he ought. And he opted to follow time and again in the examples we've looked at this kind of seems right doctrine. And you're going to see that it does not go well for him. 
Now, skipping over in chapter 15, we looked at that last time. Uh, they, they smote the Amalekites as they were told to do, but they didn't kill their king. They didn't completely and utterly destroy their cattle and their oxen and their sheep. And they, he kind of had a selective approach to how he was supposed to do this. Seems right doctrine. Well, I know God said utterly smite and destroy these people, but I'm going to take some of their best stuff and I'm not going to kill their king. And more seems right doctrine. We talked about that one last time and it got him into trouble. He got called out on that occasion as well. And then we pick up in uh, chapter 16, we find this. And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go, and I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take an heifer with thee, and say, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint him unto me, him whom I name unto thee. There's an interesting little tidbit in there, which is, you know, the way I've presented this thus far, Samuel is kind of the do-right guy. He's the guy who comes in and corrects Saul when he's doing the, uh, you know, I'm going to do the seems right thing. And Samuel comes in and says, no, this is what the Lord said to do, and you're doing the wrong thing. He's kind of presented as a hero in that respect, but he's not perfect either, right? The Lord tells him to do that. Here's this man of God who's seen all these things that God has done, seems so diligent in so many respects. The Lord tells him to go do something. He's like, yeah, but Saul's going to kill me if I do that. Here's a man of God. He's even got his doubts about things. He's worried about saving his own skin. Right. So I see a little uh, a chink in his armor in that respect. Even Saul or even Samuel here is uh, a man that's that's prone to some feeble uh, faithlessness and weakness of the flesh. Uh, Verse four. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and he came to Bethlehem. and The elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, comest thou peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I am come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before them. So, you know, this story, they go through kind of all these people and they say, well, this has got to be the guy that's going to be the king. No, it's not him. It's not any of the people that you thought was going to be. It's not anybody that conforms to the seems right doctrine, right? Seems like Eliab ought to be the king. Nope. You know why? Because seems right is wrong. Seems right is not, thus saith the Lord. And we go through all this and we find ultimately that they settle upon David and, uh, It says in verse 13, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. That is a frightening, frightening passage. Now what this does not mean is that somehow uh, Saul, through his disobedience, became unregenerate. Right now he's he's going to hell where before he was going to heaven. But this does speak of the severe consequences of acting foolishly and in rebellion and following the seems right doctrine unto ultimately the destruction of your temporal life. And it happens to people in the Bible. It can happen to you. 
One of the primary aspects of New Testament instruction in the kingdom of God is to keep you from following seems right doctrine unto the destruction of your temporal life. It is laid out before you every Sunday and in these lessons in the Bible very much as it was laid out before Saul. And we all have to make our own decisions about do I really believe and fear God and choose to live in accordance with that or I'm going to do what seems right. The exact same challenge is laid out before you in your Christian discipleship. So it's imperative that we, that we see the, you know, the severe consequences that are brought to bear as a result of this, the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and an evil spirit um, from the Lord troubled him. Think about this. How much do you think the Lord, and I think if you generally talk to people, Christian people are going to say, the Lord is sustaining me, the Lord is protecting me from things. I think most people would agree with that. Have you ever thought about how much do I really believe that? How much is that really true? Like right now, how much is God keeping some horrible disease that could be growing in your body at bay? Our bodies are a, a wreck since the fall. We got all kinds of problems. We have, I, I, I submit to you that we have really no idea. The Bible says that He upholdeth the universe by the word of His power. God is sustaining and controlling all things. There are untold things that the Lord has prevented from coming into your life. And we don't know anything about them. I suspect there's thousands upon thousands of them. Maybe that's why eternity lasts so long. Where we get an opportunity to praise God for all those things we never even knew about. It's really unfathomable. And the way God sustains us is, is amazing. Uh, I draw it to your attention here. I wonder to what degree God keeps us from being beset by all sorts of evil influences as we persist in obedience. How many things does God keep at bay? Right? The, the Word of God says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right? This is the principle I'm trying to underscore here. Well, if we are hounded by wickedness, it's an ever-present temptation in our lives. And... Resist the devil and he will flee from you is a truth, which I don't think any Christian is going to stand up and say, well, uh, that, that's, that's not in the Bible. It is in the Bible. And we're hounded by these things. Are we resisting the devil to the degree that we ought? See what I'm saying? There's a relationship here at times between um, the level of protection that we receive from God and the level of obedience that we, experience, that we partake in in this life. If you willfully go out and sin, you're going to reap the consequences of it. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. That's a principle clearly described in the Bible. If we're reaping a whole lot and we just seem like, well, I'm always hounded by all this stuff. Well, it could be that you're planting the wrong crop. You're not resist, resisting the devil's yoke. I submit that for your consideration. So that, we see that David is anointed, and then we have this great story, and maybe we can quickly look at this, uh, of King David and the situation with Goliath. <clears throat> now, this is a very famous story in the Bible. 
I don't intend to read the whole thing. I preached on it, I look, look back, I preached on it about six years ago, and we actually read through this entire text. Um, by the way, it's important to read these stories because we do forget elements of them. Um, but with the time I have here, I just want to pull out some highlights here. Um, as it relates to the seems right doctrine that we've been focused on. Now, we're in the situation where the Philistines are set in array against Israel. And they're kind of both on two mountains. There's a valley between them. And they're kind of looking across at each other. And it looks like there's going to be some kind of a battle here, right? And they send out Goliath. And Goliath is this big, hulking, uh, very frightful opponent. By every human measure, you've got a 9 to 12 foot human being with a giant uh, spear in his hand. And it, by the carnal eye, you would look at this and say, this guy, there's no way we, anybody could go out and beat this fellow. I mean, he's just, he's a monster. He's huge. <clears throat> that is what seems right, is it not? I mean, you think about some of the people in this world. I saw a picture on Facebook this week, and it was somebody, uh, some just random person standing next to Shaquille O'Neal. It was ridiculous looking. I mean, this guy was like uh, about, about up to here on Shaquille O'Neal. And he's probably a normal-sized person. And Shaquille O'Neal is just this massive human being. And if you saw that situation, you say, well, they're going to wrestle one another, right? They're going to get in a fist fight. You know, the seems right doctor's going to be, my money's on Shaquille, right? That's just how we think. It's, it's, it's only natural, I suppose, but we're talking about a situation here, and we, and we lose sight of the fact that God is ultimately in control of this matter. David hasn't lost sight of this, by the way. So nobody wants to go out and fight Goliath. We know that part of it. Um, and um, David ends up there at the battlefield, so to speak. And he kind of looks and... and uh, make, takes note of this situation. Here's this giant out there that's sort of threatening Israel. Come on, bring it on. Send somebody out here. You know, who's better, Israel or the Philistines? I'm representing the Philistines. Send out your best guy. Let's, let's see who can, how, how this will end up. And, and Israel is afraid of it. Uh, David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for battle. And Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array and the army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper. The carriage ran to the army and came and saluted his brethren. As he talked with him, behold, there came up the champion, Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines, and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. Now David is now up to speed on what the situation is. And the man of Israel said, have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. David's looking beyond what's going to happen for the person who's going to defeat this person. I mean, he's not really questioning the idea that he's defeatable, which is quite the opposite of what everybody else seems to think in this situation. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine, and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine, that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. And Eliab, 
his eldest brother heard when he spake unto the men, and Eliab, Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, Why camest thou now hither? And with whom hast thou left these few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. So he's kind of like, you know, you're my kid brother. This is ridiculous. we got a giant out there. You're talking all this smack over here on our side. And, you know, this is ridiculous. You just come down here to see what's going on. Why don't you shut up, little brother? You're embarrassing me. Right? David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Shouldn't we be considering the matter of taking up this challenge? Is there not a cause? Is there not someone who's insulting God's people here? And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former matter. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go and fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for thou art but a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. That is, seems right, 3.16. Follow me? He's quoting from his book, the book of seems right, and this is his primary doctrine. This ain't going to work because it don't seem right to me. It's gotten Saul into trouble. If he followed this and didn't allow David to do it, it would have persisted in Saul being in trouble in this situation. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep, and there came a lion and a bear, and took a lamb out of the flock. And when I went out after him, and smote him, and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard, and smote him, and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the armies of the living God. David calls upon his previous experiences in deliverance from God. His ability to do things in his own life wherein he was delivered in very perilous circumstances. I mean, honestly, think about this. I would rather go up against, personally, this is my seems right. I'm going to preach a little bit of seems right on my, my part. I think I'd rather go up against Goliath of Gath than a lion or a bear. I can't think of anything more frightening than going up against a lion or a bear. They're unbelievable predators. You talk about apex predators. I mean, at the top of the food chain, there's literally nothing you can do if one of those things comes after you and wants to kill you. Somehow, I think, my seems right, says I, I might stand better against, uh, against Goliath of Gath. Now, I didn't see Goliath, so, um, but that's how I think about it anyway. But the point I'm making is this. David has been delivered in t- temporal circumstances before. He sees that this is threatening him, or this is threatening the people of Israel, and the Lord is on their side. Why then should he not assume that the Lord is going to deliver me in this just like he has in the other circumstances? He's confident in it. <clears throat> By the way, this seems right to David. You follow me? This is the point I made earlier. It's possible for something to seem right and it be right. I'm sure that David says, seems to me like God's on our side. And 
we can defeat this enemy. So it does seem right, and that's exactly the, the situation here. But it's not coming out of his carnal heart. It's coming out of the heart of faith. <clears throat> Verse 30, And he turned from him toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. And David said to Saul, um, well, I already read that part. Verse 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. I'm going to get a place marker here. Let me get back in. Verse 38. And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put an helmet of brass upon his head, and he also armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not approved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off of him. That's another round of seems right doctrine from Saul. Saul won't let this thing go. You see what I'm saying? Saul has chosen to live a life now based on seems right rather than thus saith the Lord. And he's so practiced in the exercise of seems right doctrine that he just cannot let it go. It becomes the answer to every single problem. David, you can't go defeat this guy. He's a warrior from his youth, and you're some little shepherd boy. Okay, that seems right. It's wrong. Well, okay, if you're going to go do it, then you need to put on all this armor and do it, do it the way I say to do it. That seems right, doctor, too, and that's wrong, too. I mean, the, the point I'm trying to make here in terms of application, this Disney notion of follow your heart, and you get rooted in this idea of I'm going to follow what seems right to me all the time, there's a certain way it starts to pickle you in this truth. And you become utterly reliant on it. And it's time and time and time again failing you over and over and over again. And to the degree that you persist in ignorance of what the Word of God says, what do you do? You go right back to what seems right and what feels right and, and follow your heart. Fails you time and time and time again. <clears throat> There's a reason that you have to follow the Lord in these things. You'll avoid a lot of problems. <clears throat> so what did David do? Verse 40, And he took his staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine, and the Philistine came on and drew near unto David. And the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy, and a fair countenance. Look at this cute little boy coming out here. This is Gath. Isn't that cute? Look at this. This is going to be interesting. Pathetic is what he's thinking. This is just absolutely... I'm going to have to kill one of your boys here. You're such a bunch of cowards that you're going to send this out. It's, Gath has a little seems right doctrine of his own working here, doesn't he? Seems like this is ridiculous. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Well, it's like David said, is there not a cause? Well, if you didn't hear the cause before, you hear it now. He's cursing me and God's people, cursing God himself. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Seems like that's what he's going to do. Gath's got his own seems right problem. 
Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword, and with a spear, and with a shield. But I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. One thing I notice in that, in that text is that had David decided, well, okay, maybe I am going to go do this. Maybe I should take all this armor. Maybe that's not a bad advice. He wouldn't have been able to say that. He, I guess he would have said, well, I got some armor too, right? So we're even on that measure. There's something powerful in David's life about standing before Goliath of Gath who represents the world and all that the world will bring to bear on you. All the worldly wisdom, all the worldly power, all the worldly strength, and him just standing there in the bareness of who he is and the simplicity of how God has delivered him in the past and saying, I'm ready. I'm ready to do battle with this. I don't have to put on all the accoutrements of battle that the world says are necessary. I don't have to have all of the training that the world says are necessary to defeat this military enemy. That is the walk of faith. And you see David bringing really the greatest weapon to bear on all this, which is his faith. He's stepping out in faith on this, and he's not afraid. Verse 46, This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from thee, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air, and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Well, that's what seems right to David. And guess what? David's right about it. This is David speaking of his faith in being delivered in this circumstance. And it completely flies in opposition to everything the world would throw up against it. Seems right doctrine is the doctrine of the world. And by the way, in this moment, I suspect right up until the moment that Goliath hit the earth as a result of this stone being buried in his head, I suspect right up to that moment, pretty much everybody that's watching this is pretty well on the seems right doctrine side of things. They're like, yeah, this ain't going to go well for David at all. You know the Philistines are thinking that's going to happen. Goliath thinks that's going to happen. David's brothers thinks that's going to happen. I imagine everybody just looking at it with your, with your natural eyes and not seeing this through the eyes of faith the way David is, you're all going to be on the side of seems right doctrine, and you're all going to be wrong about it. Verse 48, It came to pass when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone, and slang it, and smote the Philistine in his forehead, that the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. I bet the, there were some jaws that dropped to the ground in that moment. When your seems right doctrine gets proven utterly false, it's just, I can't believe it. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and threw him and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. That, that story is very powerful on a lot of levels. But the one I want to draw out in particular today is this is a youth that's doing this. This is not somebody, well, I had many, many years of my life to 
to build up my faith such that now that I'm a 35-year-old man and I've had all these experiences of building up my faith, now I'm going to go out and slay this enemy. That is not the situation. This is essentially a young boy who's doing this to such a degree that those in the army who are looking at him, they're like, you can't do this. You're just a kid, right? David's victory here was in his faith, in his reliance upon God, not in his reliance upon all the material things of this world, whether it was military preparation or age or experience or any of that. Armor. It wasn't in any of that. His ultimate weapon here was in his faith in God. And in choosing to do what he knew God wanted him to do, rather than what he thought seemed right, in terms of the way everyone would tell him what seems right. You see what I'm saying? You know, when you have the entire world telling you it seems right to do this, and there's any number of ways that this comes into people's lives, the world's going to tell you uh, it seems right to get involved with people inappropriately before you get married. Let me just put it that way. The world says that. It causes all kinds of problems. You could, ch- you could choose what thus saith the Lord, or you could choose this is seems right doctrine. The world tells you that, you know what, you're, you're having trouble, this is difficult, here's a drug that will make that pain go away. Maybe it's alcohol. Sometimes it's a relationship. You can follow those things, and it may seem right in the moment, but it brings with it consequences, and all those things can be avoided by rejecting follow your heart the seems right doctrine and going into thus saith the Lord and benefiting from that admonition. This is how it plays out. Now, here's the, here's the interesting thing. This is a great story for David, a great victory for David. He doesn't always follow this doctrine. David is a hero. At this moment, David is incredibly heroic, right? This is early in his life. He's done this great thing. We'll look at more of this in the coming weeks. But David struggles with some seems right doctrine on his own, because we all do. The question I have is, where's your seems right doctrine leading you today? When you think about what seems right, is it leading you in the right direction? Or should you be following, thus saith the Lord? The Bible says, prove all things, hold fast that which is good. And wherever you're applying simply your seems right doctrine in your life, I invite you today to live by faith rather than by sight. To second guess what seems right. And to step back and say, how would I live in this instance if I was living by faith rather than by sight? That's what David did here. It's one of the reasons he's a hero in the Bible. He should be an inspiration to us to live as we ought rather than just at what seems right. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. This has been Elder Dan Sammons preaching in one of our regular meetings. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, we don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.